Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I'd like to uh, start off the talk with a contemporary prayer that I first learned from my colleague, uh, Howie Cohn. <clears throat> goes like this. <clears throat> Dear God, so far today, I've done okay. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been crabby, mean, nasty, selfish, bitchy, or overindulgent, and I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed, <laughs> and then I'm probably gonna need a lot more help. Amen. Mm. We have all kinds of ideas of how we hope the practice will be going and uh, how we want it to go and how we try our hardest and uh, still at times, as I'm sure you've seen many, many times, it's elusive, these ideals and uh, ideas of, of what should be happening. And then we get really, can get really discouraged because we're, we're really trying, going full on, showing up, but it's not going the way we want. <clears throat> Have you noticed? Have you ever seen that? Um, so tonight I want to talk about the key quality that can help us in those times as frequently as they visit us. Uh, and that is uh, equanimity. It's been spoken of, I know that a uh, guy gave a talk on the seven factors of enlightenment and uh, it's been mentioned from time to time. Um, but I wanted to uh, devote a, a, a talk to it because it's, it's so key in the teachings of the Buddha and you don't have to wait until we get to the Brahma Vihara of equanimity to start practicing it. Um, you're practicing it actually all the time whether you realize it or not, because every moment of mindfulness is a moment of deepening the cultivation of equanimity. In every moment where there's true mindfulness, where whatever is happening, you are not grasping at the pleasant, pushing away from the unpleasant, um, or identifying with your experience, is a moment that you're cultivating equanimity. And perhaps you've, you've seen it in subtle ways as the, as the retreat's gone on. Maybe you're uh, at times a bit less thrown than you were a couple of weeks ago. Although it's a tricky kind of a thing because uh, often when you think, oh wow, you know, I, I think I'm a bit more balanced now. I think I kind of, Maybe I got this figured out. Uh, the universe bops you over the head and says, oh yeah, and then you are back again needing to remember about equanimity. So um, I don't think we can overdo it. 
<clears throat> and if you are familiar with the different lists in these teachings, uh, you, you know that equanimity appears in a number of lists. And the interesting thing about it is that in every list, it's always the last in the list. Seven factors of enlightenment ends with equanimity. The four Brahma Viharas ends with equanimity. The ten perfections, ten paramis, uh, which I think has been mentioned here, the last one is equanimity. The, uh, the jhana uh, absorption states, uh, the, the form states, the last one is equanimity. The five jhana factors, last one is equanimity. In the progress of insight, all of the stages of insight just before awakening, equanimity. Why is that? Why does it hold that very special place in this practice? In some ways, it's the, it's the culmination of practice. And when we, we truly are finding a balance, which is the essence of what equanimity is, when we truly come to a center that is not tossed by grasping or aversion, it is the, it is the precursor to the awakened heart that is not disturbed by any circumstances. And so just to, uh, to note that, how, how powerful and how um, um, deep this practice is, and yet it's, it's a subtle practice. It seems so, at times, so elusive. You know, how do you find your center right in the middle of, of everything? Or, how do I stay there? Let go of staying in equanimity. There are some times in, your, in practice where it becomes a very fully developed state and one can stay there for some time. Uh, but uh, like everything, equanimity is impermanent as well. But it's more like a balancing act. You, you don't get on a bicycle and say, okay, now I'll just stay in the center and this is, this is how I stay balanced. It's a continual adjustment. So um, don't try to stay in equanimity. In fact, I can guarantee you it's a, a sure prescription for getting caught if you're trying hard to stay in equanimity. Just doesn't work. But there's more of a sense of ease and spaciousness, which is really for me, the, the key word in equanimity is spaciousness. You know, the, the, um, the three factors um, in the um, factors of enlightenment, factors of awakening, uh, the last three uh, are calm or tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And they're, they all have to do with a uh, some dimension of stillness. Calm is a kind of 
settled stillness. Just things settle down and um, there, there's not a disturbance. Mm. And I know many of you have, have tasted moments of that. It's so sweet. It's so delicious. Ah, yeah. Nothing is disturbing. It's really peaceful. And that's a wonderful kind of stillness. Concentration is a kind of uh, focused stillness where you're either focused on a particular object like the breath or um, sensations or whatever you're, if you have a home base, or you're focused in the present moment and there is a kind of unwavering stability of mind that is connected to either the objects or the present, a focused stillness. Equanimity is a spacious stillness that has enough room for all the ups and downs to come and go, that's not dependent on particular conditions. So in some ways you can see um, how with calm, something can disturb the calm. And with concentration, well, you know that can come and go and, and depending upon conditions, it, it can be hard to, uh, uh, to stay focused. But with equanimity, it's a continual, when, when it's here, when you have kind of a sense of meeting the moment with balance, um, there's, a, there's room for everything. And it's less dependent on conditions than on cultivating a wise relationship with your experience. Because what's happening in your experience is continually changing, but equanimity is the cultivation of a wise relationship to what's happening. So it's not so much what's happening or trying to reach some magical destination. It's more a matter of being willing to be open for the whole show. <clears throat> and equanimity in itself is pointing to a, a central theme that's that happens uh, in, in a lot of the lists, which is balance. Just like in the seven factors of enlightenment, the, the stilling factors, the ones that I just mentioned, are balanced with the energizing factors, with uh, investigation and energy and uh, joy, a keen interest in, the, in, in whatever is happening. And mindfulness is the balancing factor that more and more balances those energetic or stilling spaces and culminates in equanimity. Or I mentioned at the very beginning of the retreat, the um, five spiritual faculties. Yeah. Remember that? That was so long ago. Um, with concentration balanced with energy and faith balanced with, with wisdom. And again, mindfulness is the, is the balancing factor. So that you can see why mindfulness in itself is cultivating equanimity. But it's all about balance. The whole, you can think of the whole uh, um, 
unfolding of practice is about balance, meeting the moment with balance. <clears throat> A few benefits of equanimity, it's said, just to, if you need a little bit more incentive to, to practice it. Um, it gives rise to a buoyancy, decisiveness, confidence, faith, honesty, calm, and patience. Pretty good. Huh? <clears throat> and as... Um, you probably have, have heard if you've done any uh, exploring with equanimity, the near enemy of equanimity, just like the, all the Brahma Viharas have near enemies that disguise, that look like the noble state, uh, but are very different. The near enemy of equanimity is apathy or indifference, where you're not, ruffled because you're disengaged. You know, I think I said at the last uh, talk, you know, whatever, big whatever. That's not equanimity. Equanimity is, is truly engaged with your experience, but there is that spaciousness that uh, can hold it all. <clears throat> Let's see what... Anything else I want to say? Mm. In the um, in the teachings, there's one list that um, particularly um, one sees the application of equanimity, and that's um, the what are called the eight worldly conditions. I, I don't know if it's been mentioned here so far, uh, or the eight vicissitudes is another way of. Uh, of calling it, that is, in life there is pleasure and pain, there's loss and gain, there's fame and shame, and there's praise and blame. Those are the eight worldly conditions. And we can find ourselves bouncing from one to another. You know, maybe, maybe fame and shame uh, is, is not as usual as the others, but uh, for some it is. But praise and blame, how we can be so affected by either one, or loss and gain, it's just part of the package of being alive. Or pray, or um, pleasure and pain, certainly. There we are going after one and moving away from, from the other. And so equanimity is the, the key support for being in the midst of all of those. And this is so for whether you're relatively new to practice or you're a Buddha. And there's one 
uh, story I love about, about the Buddha where uh, people tried to uh, uh, discredit, a lot of people were jealous of the Buddha and tried to discredit him with all kinds of rumors and, um, uh, and you know, just uh, putting out um, fake news or something like that about the Buddha and um, to be contemporary. And uh, they, they, it was getting a little bit uh, uh, dicey there for, um, for the, the Sangha and Ananda was getting really um, uh, nervous because the, uh, it seemed like the, uh, the support and the, the alms and people were doubting and, uh, and they were going down uh, the, the support and, and, and there were a lot of these uh, awful things that were being said about about him and Ananda go, went to the Buddha and said, uh, "Hey, um, it's getting a little, little dicey here. Um, maybe we should move on." And the Buddha said to Ananda, "Maybe we should just, uh, uh, you know, find another another place to to go." And the Buddha said to Ananda, uh, "Well, what would happen if we we went there and people started um, telling rumors like here?" And Ananda said, "Well, then." you know, we move on to another place. And he said, no, 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 no. Not so, Ananda. We both know what the truth is. And we are living in our truth. And simply to know, in this world, those who speak much are blamed. Those who speak little are blamed. Those who remain silent are blamed. In this world, no one escapes from blame. So how to, how to deal with that, how to work with that, <clears throat> and how to bring it in, in our practice as well. One of the, the essences, the essential wisdoms in equanimity is that everything is changing, that there's nothing to hold on to. Have you seen that? It's all changing. The truth of Anicca, which might seem kind of disheartening, but it's tremendously freeing. Oh, I can be here for the ride instead of holding on to some experience. Wanted to share with you a little anecdote uh, about this mm, from the teachings. <clears throat> Some children were playing beside a river. They made castles of sand and each child defended his castle and said, this one is mine. They kept their castle separate and would not allow any mistakes about which was whose. When the castles were all finished, one child kicked over someone's castle and completely destroyed it. The owner of the castle flew into a rage, pulled the other child's hair, struck him with his fist, and bawled out, he has spoiled my castle. Come along, all of you, and help me punish him as he deserves. The others all came to help. They beat the child with a stick and then stamped on him as he lay on the ground. 
Then they went on playing in their sandcastles, each saying, this is mine, no one else may have it. Keep away, don't touch my castle. But evening came, it was getting dark, and they all thought they ought to be going home. No one now cared what became of his castle. One child stamped on his, another pushed his over with both hands. Then they turned away and went back, each to his home. I always get the shivers when I read that one. How attached we get to our possessions or to the current circumstances or thinking that, oh my goodness, this has happened. I'll never get over this. How many times have you gone through that? Are you still carrying it around right now in your head? You have to think, oh yeah, there was that time and that time. Sandcastles all gone. But while you're in the middle of it, it seems so crucial, so everything. And equanimity is seeing the impermanent nature, seeing the bigger picture, the spaciousness that can see everything coming and going and coming and going. And when you've been seeing it here, that's what we've been doing for these weeks, you see how quickly experience comes and goes. After a while, you get that holding on to any sweet moment is a setup for suffering. I hope you're starting to see that. Or fearing that the the unpleasant moments or the you know the storm won't pass and seeing oh that passed too as i think i've said before it's seeing it's not about arriving some destination it's about being here for the ride enjoying the ride and when it's sweet really not missing it especially if it's a wholesome moment not with grasping, not with attachment, but to, to really let it register as the Buddha suggested. And when it's difficult, oh, what can I learn from this one? So every moment counts when you see that perspective. Every single moment counts. And particularly with regards to the, the Brahma Viharas, um, as you, when we get to equanimity, we'll, we'll see this in more, uh, more apparent terms. But equanimity is what holds the other beautiful, sublime heart states um, with that spaciousness and balance. When there's metta, if there's not equanimity, it can easily turn into attachment. With compassion, if we lack equanimity, our hearts can be broken and we can fall into grief and, uh, or, or overwhelm. With joy, equanimity keeps it from being 
over-exuberance and getting swept up by the intensity as the, you know, uh, you've, I'm sure you've seen after championships in, a, in sports, you know, whether, you know, sometimes there's a lot of partying, often there's a lot of partying, sometimes there's riots because people get so swept up by the intensity of the, of the excitement and they lose their balance and, and can do crazy things. So equanimity is what holds it all. But particularly for our purposes here, especially having just finished our days of compassion, um, equanimity holding compassion is the key especially for these times. And, you know, you, you've seen the, um, the Kuan Yin figure in her uh, relaxed pose where there she is hearing the cries of the world, ready to respond, but there's a kind of ease and balance that is centered and having the action come from um, a deeper kind of wisdom that says, yes, this is how it is, and now I can respond. This is true wisdom, and this is one of the things that, that for me, the Dharma has such an important um, place in this conversation of caring and making a difference in the world, that we, as we cultivate that balance and that sense of connected wisdom that sees the bigger picture, our actions can be so much more um, skillful in response and inspiring in response. And you see, the, the, those who have found that sense of connection, how powerful their response is. Uh, thinking about um, Gandhi and speaking with the, the held in truth. Maybe I mentioned it here before that. Satyagraha, the truth force that allowed him to be so courageous and so centered and so um, yeah, unafraid because it wasn't him doing it. He had that connection to a higher force that allowed him to remain centered. And the, the power of his intense caring uh, was held in that equanimity and inspired millions, brought down the British Empire. And in the same way, we have our own hero, uh, inspiring hero, Martin Luther King, the same. Just that the force of his connection to truth allowed him to go well beyond his fear and he talked about having fear, but that place of uh, centeredness and courage, that's what the archetype of Kuan Yin represents. And it's something that we all can cultivate and need to cultivate, 
particularly if our caring is going to make a difference in the world. <clears throat> so, how to, how to do this? How to cultivate equanimity? I wanted to mention a few um, aspects that, for me, are essential, and maybe some uh, offering some practices to uh, to work with it and cultivate it. The first is basically what we've been doing here for the last few weeks, opening to things just as they are. That's the first task. To be willing to be here for whatever is coming up in our experience. As uh, Ajahn Sumedho says, I forget if we mention it here, his, his beautiful, simple practice, oh, it's like this. Oh, fear is like this. Oh, confusion is like this. Oh, love is like this. Oh, body pain is like this. And there's a, a kind of interest, not resignation, but interest in just curiously opening up in what, to whatever extent we can remain centered. We don't want to overwhelm our system, as I think I've mentioned it here. You know, I, I, I find the expression of titrating our dukkha really helpful, just a, a little bit at a time. So you practice, you know, you start out with, with five pound weights, not, not hundred pound weights, and just, okay, wow, I'm feeling really, really scared now. Let's just feel it for a minute. That's, that's good enough. Let's just feel it for a minute. Wow, this is intense. Okay, mm. and you've touched it or you then regroup and hold it with some compassion. You don't want to go in over your head, but you don't want to play it so safe that you say, no, I'm going to be compassionate and not need to open up to the difficult. That, you're selling yourself short. Just knowing what your limits are, but being having, it takes courage this first one, it takes a lot of courage. And I've talked about it here before. Just you're developing that courage muscle every time you are stretching yourself a little bit. And part of that opening up to things as they are means needing to let go of your idea of how they should be or how I should be. As I've been sharing with a few people, watch out for the word should. I should be more focused. I shouldn't be caught in this stupid tape loop again. I shouldn't have this body ache that's here. 
this shouldn't be happening. <coughs> the word should imposes an artificial mind-created reality on top of experience that prevents us from letting it be just how it is. And that goes for expectations, it goes for our hopes, it goes for our fears. To let go of the shoulds and realize, as we've mentioned here before, you don't really have control over your experience. Not in any one particular moment. It's so freeing. It's so incredibly relief to realize that you're not responsible for your experience. But you can have some say in your response to experience. So that's a kind of spaciousness that lets go of the control that you never had in the first place. And from your willingness to do that, you see that you uh, gain confidence and trust in seeing, oh, I made it through. Wow, I never thought I was gonna make it through that storm. I did. Have you had a few bumps along the way? You survived every one of them. We haven't lost anyone yet. Yeah. Don't miss that. Oh, I made it through. There's this capacity to be with the experience. If you'd like, for those who've done some mantra meditation, or who would like a mantra, I'll pass on to you um, a mantra that uh, was a transmission from Joseph Goldstein many years ago. When he, was, he was asked, is there any mantra in this, this practice? And he said, yeah, one mantra you might find really helpful. Whenever you think about it, whatever is happening, just say, it's okay. It's a great mantra. It's okay. Oh, this moment is okay. It's okay. Oh, here I am hanging on by my fingernails. It's okay. It's just hanging on by f my fingernails, Buddha. You know. <laughs> the next thing to open up to. Hmm. Just... Let me ask you to reflect for just a moment for your, in your own practice. What's, what's hard for you to accept? You might just close your eyes for a moment. And go inside, whether it's uh, sleepiness or doubt or anger or judgment or loneliness, what is it that's hard for you? We all have our own. What's the hardest things or thing for you to accept in there? Now, just try that. It's okay. 
it's okay to be human in this way. If you saw somebody else who was caught in that, could you be kind to them? What would you want them to know? It's okay. Just give that to yourself. Okay, you can open your eyes. So the idea is learning to open up to the whole show. I love this line from uh, Robert Bly. Every part of our personality that we do not learn to embrace will become hostile to us. Because if we're busy trying to get rid of it or thinking we shouldn't have it, um, we are caught in, uh, in a struggle that's extra. And what you're doing is taking personally what's just an impersonal process. So when you get humbled, there is a, a value to the humility that can come from it. Hum, if humbled leads to humility, you've got a good thing going. Uh, I always think and say, every now and then, it's probably a good thing to be humbled. Not as a steady diet, but just every now and then, oh yeah, I'm not in control here. Because that humility uh, can let, help you let go of the self-righteousness that says, you know, why don't they have it more together? And there's real compassion. So that's not wasted at all. But the, the equanimity is bringing a spaciousness that doesn't take it personally, that doesn't take ownership of your experience, to not identify with your experience. No credit, no blame. If you're not going to blame yourself for what's happening, it means you also can't take credit for what's happening too. That's the other side. So just watch when you have a good meditation, you say, hey, I think I got this. You know, it's a setup for, oh no, I lost it. It's all just causes and conditions. I had one, well, one uh, experience on, uh, it was a very powerful experience for me a number of years ago when, um, I was sitting, it was, a, it was the fall retreat, and I had somehow fallen into this really delicious place in my practice where I was sitting for long hours and I was really pretty clear and I was just cruising. I don't know how I got there, but there I was. And I was having this one meditation, I was sitting with my eyes open and somebody came in and sat in, f who, who sat near me, who I had tremendous respect for, a very diligent yogi. She came in and after about 20 minutes, there she was just kind of, you know, nodding, you know. And the thought occurred to me, I know that one very well. I've probably spent weeks in that mode, nodding, you know. <laughs> and it was just baffling, like, here I am just kind of cruising, clear and energy and bright, and here she is, very sincere yogi, just kind of 
falling out. And knowing full well that tomorrow it could be completely different. I could be the one nodding. And in a moment, in my mind, this, th- this thing happened where instead of being James and her and uh, ev- everybody else, it was just these fields of energy where this was energy and, and, and uh, clarity. Here was sloth and torpor. Here was love. Here was restlessness. Here was peace. Here. And we could all switch around in a few moments. And so the thought of taking credit for it became completely absurd. I don't know how I got there. I was just there. And it was so freeing to see, to see all I can do is show up the best I can do and not take credit for the good stuff and not take blame for the other stuff. Awareness doesn't care what's going on. That's the key for equanimity. Anything could be coming and going. And what your secret ingredient in, in equanimity is, is uh, just your sincere motivation. If it's about what, how your meditation practice is going, that's the only thing you can bring to it, at least the way I see it. My sincere motivation, my, uh, a, a story that I, I share when I, I was fortunate enough to be part of a conference for Dharma teachers in uh, Dharamsala with the Dalai Lama, and uh, one day uh, somebody uh, asked him, well, what do you do, uh, how do you work with, uh, with suffering, all the suffering that you see? And he said, my sincere motivation is my protection. And then the next day somebody asked, well, wh- what about fear? You know, you say even sometimes you get afraid. How do you work with it? And he said, without batting an eye, the same thing. My sincere motivation is my protection. That's what you can bring to it. Let go of taking responsibility for what happens. You just show up. But you can have gratitude for the wisdom that you've been exposed to teachings that somehow have turned you in the right direction. Gratitude, it's all causes and conditions. All causes and conditions Whatever it is, whatever mind state you're going through or whatever uh, physical experience you're going through or whatever, it's just causes and conditions. You can take the self out of it and you can have gratitude that somehow in your good karma, causes have and conditions have turned you towards facing in the right direction. That's pretty amazing. Have you reflect, I hope you, re, you reflect on this from time to time, how you ended up not only having the circumstances, but the inclination and the opportunity to practice and to go deep inside to connect with yourself. That's amazingly good karma. Not taking credit for it, but feeling the amazing grace of it. Ah, 
but the equanimity that says, yes, this is how it is, and I want to make full use of it. <clears throat> so that's first thing, opening up to things just as they are. A second is letting go of any particular outcome. That means being willing to open up to even the worst, seeing the worst. Uh, I forget if I mentioned it, I love this Charlotte Bronte quote. Did I mention it here? She says, uh, um, to see the worst, to see and know the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. If you're willing to see how th and accept it could work out this way. You know, the, the Buddha starts out his teachings, the first noble truth. Yeah, there's suffering in life. He doesn't say, you know, oh, follow me, this is gonna feel so good. He's saying, there's suffering. Let's take a look at it. Let's not be afraid. Or talks about every day to reflect on five things. You will grow old. If you're fortunate enough to live that long, you will become sick, you will die. Everything and everyone near and dear to you, you will be separated from. And you are the owner of your actions, of your karma. He says, think about this every day. Not to bum yourself out, not to depress yourself, oh my goodness, I'm gonna lose everything, but to just see, okay, this is part of the, of the package and now let's, let's deal with it. Here's a, a poem, maybe some of you are familiar with, a beautiful poem from uh, Jennifer Wellwood who wrote that unconditional poem. It's called The Dakini Speaks. My friends, Let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings, but please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child she seems cruel, but she's only wild, and her compassion is exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. to be really willing to see anything can happen at any time, but not letting fear run the show 
anything can happen and will happen. But if you are living in the future afraid that it will happen, then you're missing out on the real refuge, which is this moment. This moment is workable. This moment is where we can ground ourselves in, uh, in the truth. But not to be afraid of what might be coming down the pike. Because you can trust that if you've been practicing opening to this moment with kind, wise awareness, the chances are you can trust that your awareness will meet those moments when they come. That's what we're cultivating here, that any moment is workable. Now, if you are willing to let go of your hoped outcome, it also means you have to be willing to let go of knowing and assuming that the worst will happen. You have to be willing to let go of what you think will happen, especially if you tend towards the negative. You don't know. You have no idea. Have you seen that? The spaciousness of equanimity gives a the possibility, the unlimited possibilities of the unfolding. Because what equanimity does is it opens up the narrow defining of what's happening in this moment to see a much bigger cycle of reality. And this is true from day to day. Think of how many different moods you've had just today, let alone the last few weeks. You don't know while you're in the middle of it, it will change. And in the same way, I just want to put in a word for the bigger picture in our life, in our world. When fear gets activated, oh my goodness, what is going to happen? I know where this is going to lead. No, you don't. But know that mm, that there is an unfolding here that's much bigger than we can know. You know, as uh, I think uh, Bonnie, you were mentioning about the Martin Luther King quote. Did you mention it today? Oh no, is in, in uh, that uh, that he says. You know, the moral uh, uh, arc of uh, of justice is. Is alone. What's that? Armando. Armando. Yeah, you were saying it. Yeah, she said that it came in the hall. You know, but um, but it, it it bends towards justice. And I think just like we going through our own journey, are going through our difficulties, and that helps wake us up. You know, and, and Saint John of the Cross calls it the dark night of the species. Uh, Andrew Harvey calls it the dark, uh, sorry, the dark night of the soul, uh, St. John of the Cross talks about. And Andrew Harvey calls it the dark night of the species. That the shadow brings out the light in ways that we could never predict. 
So you can't tell. You don't have enough information. And having that, that wider perspective, suffering can be a catalyst for awakening. That's how it works intrapersonally and how it works on a much bigger scale, which is clearly happening in ways we could never predict. And so what we need to do is let go of thinking we know how it's going to uh, turn out, whatever it happens to be in your mind, and just do our part and show up. As Thomas Merton says that an activist has to come to terms with the fact that what is done may ultimately be fruitless, but that you're not doing it solely for the hope of results. He says, you get used to this idea, you start more and more to concentrate on the value, the rightness, the truth of what you do for itself. And there's a Talmudic story in the Talmud, the Jewish body of wisdom that says, if the world were ending and you knew that nothing would make a difference, you'd still do what's most aligned with your heart's deepest desires. So the interesting thing is when you let go of the outcome and aren't run by fear, you are coming from a much more inspiring place that magnetizes and awakens that in others. And that's happening. Wise engagement. Remember, the near enemy of equanimity is apathy. But you can open up and do your part out of love. What Joanna Macy calls active hope. She has a beautiful book, Active Hope. That is, and she used to hate the word hope. It just seemed too, you know, airy-fairy, you know, well, let's hope everything will work out, you know. Identifying, and so she wrote a book called Active Hope, identifying the outcomes we hope for and then playing our part in bringing them about. Focus on what we deeply long for and then proceed to take determined steps in that direction, becoming an active participant in bringing about what we hope for. You have power to do this. But it means you have to let go of knowing how it's going to, to turn out, particularly if your mind inclines towards the negative. I think it's helpful and, 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 and important to have an inspiring vision and then just see, just do your part. And then you, you let go of the idea uh, or of the attachment. And as my, my son Adam says, um, his, one of his mantras, let go, let's go. <laughs> Don't hold back. But let go of thinking you know and just see what I 
have recently been calling in, in interviews, and you can use this in your own personal practice, to go from agenda to adventure. You have no idea what your practice is going to be like tomorrow. And instead of having a plan, let's see. Let's see what today is like. And let yourself be continually surprised. And this is where equanimity leads to a real trust and surrender. And the really the culmination, that's why it's the precursor to enlightenment. The culmination is just surrendering the being the agent of things and trusting in life and then the mind can relax and open and awaken. That's why we stress the word relax so much because it's the key. You can trust. You can trust in the Dharma. You can trust in the moment. You can trust in, in the truth. And what I sometimes uh, uh, liken this movement to equanimity is um, like learning to swim. Do you remember when you were first learning to swim and somebody put you in a pool and there you were kind of struggling, oh my goodness, and they say, just relax. And you say, relax, I'm going down here. What do you mean, relax? And then after a while, you kind of, you remember when you first got treading? Oh, oh, this is, this is much better. See, I didn't need to do all of that flailing about, okay? And then there's that magical moment, do you remember it? When somehow you were willing to completely let go and find out that the water was here ready to support you all along. That's a magical moment. That's what I call going from flailing to floating. And that's what we're learning here, which is what equanimity can allow us to open to. And we can practice it, don't have much time here, but I'll just mention a few different ways that you can, you can practice this. Just one, every time you look through the lens of seeing things as they are, oh, it's like this, and just practice. Let's, for this morning, just try out, oh, it's like this. Oh, this is what's happening. You're practicing equanimity. Every time you look through the lens of a Nietzsche and just seeing moment after moment how everything is changing, you're developing a deeper understanding of equanimity, seeing there's nothing that you can hold on to. Every time you look through the lens of Vedana and seeing pleasant, unpleasant, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, pleasant, neutral, unpleasant, and you see how fast things change, you see Oh, how silly to hold on to that. The other day, we had the big mind meditation with Guy. 
having that spaciousness. Everything is just coming and going in that field of awareness. And you don't have to rearrange the furniture. You can just be the awareness in which it's all happening. Ah, there's the spaciousness of equanimity. And there are equanimity uh, phrases as well, which we'll get to. For now, just calling on balance. May I have balance in this moment? May I open up to this moment with equanimity? You can invite it and just create that sense of spaciousness. All just karma unfolding and you can let go of the control. So I'll, I'll close with a, a favorite poem of mine, another one by Dana Falls, which is pointing to this power of letting go into trust and equanimity called Let It Go. Let go of the ways you thought life would unfold, the holding of plans or dreams or expectations. Let it all go. Save your strength to swim with the tide. The choice to fight what is here before you now will only result in struggle, fear, and desperate attempts to flee from the very energy you long for. Let it go. Let it all go and flow with the grace that washes through your days, whether you receive it gently or with all your quills raised to defend against invaders. Take this on faith. The mind may never find the explanation that it seeks, but you will move forward nonetheless. Let go, and the wave's crest will carry you to unknown shores beyond your wildest dreams or destinations. Let it all go, and find the place of rest and peace and certain transformation. So let's just sit for a moment. Let the words go. for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.